can talk about film with a philosopher's zeal or measure them all by box office appeal but for once in your life be real welcome one and all to a movie reviewing reappraising genre hopping podcast it's be real my name's chance solem pfeiffer and I'm Noah Ballard. And we're here on what is the last regularly scheduled episode of, of Be Real, which is... Everyone I've told is devastated. Are they? People were... Yeah, they were like, are, is everything all right? Yeah. And what did you say? I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> he will not. He will. He refuses to talk to me except on the air on the final episode. You wouldn't know it from our banter, but we're actually not speaking outside of the context of this podcast. <laughs> he says that all his ratings are about me and that I should just understand how he's feeling through that. Indeed. <laughs> so, folks, we're going to we have sort of a goofy farewell episode today, but we're going to talk in the front half about... Um, a movie that Noah and I have both seen recently. It is the the horror film Barbarian. Um, and then in the back half, we're going to do kind of a, a retrospective uh, game. Um, and I suppose we'll say our farewells at that point. But um, I just wanted to say at the front that, you know, it's, it's possible that you'll hear us on this feed again someday, maybe on another show. Um, I'm definitely not done talking movies and God knows one of my favorite parts of talking movies is doing so with Noah. Um, Do you mean that? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I love that. Um, but you know, I just think after we, we've come to the conclusion that after seven and a half years, um, and I How did the math. How many episodes is this? So I did that math too. Um, it's like 220 full, like 40 minis, like, 30 or so patreons we've basically we've covered about 700 movies i've been telling people we've done over 250 episodes and i i feel that that's fair yeah that's that's right um i don't feel that that's any hyperbole no yeah about 700 movies um so do you remember who you were when we began this (laughs) i think i was a little drunk um not super what We've always been like a little bit under the influence when we've done these podcasts. Yeah. A little bit like Denzel and flight. I'm, I'm drunk. Yeah, exactly. Drunk we right do our now. best work upside down <laughs> after having consumed a lot of. No, it's like, are you sure you are up for this episode? And I'm like, I'm going to roll it. Um, Sometimes there's just like 45 minutes of silence because chance has fallen asleep. that right. he then edits out later on. Mm-hmm. These episodes take five to six hours to record that's right that's right <laughs> <laughs> so yeah not not slamming the door closed so hard that it like kills peter coyote and sphere but um you know oh, my god i think uh what a reference that's what, just what i thought of when I, I was like what's a movie reference that relates to slamming doors probably peter coyote getting cut in half by that door um that's a good one but before we Ride on into the friskulating dusk light, my friend. <laughs> let's uh, let's talk about the movie Barbarian. Oh, 
Oh, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah. This is 476 Barbary, right? Yeah, I'm renting this place. No, I booked it a month ago. Are you sure you have the right place? Yeah. Who am I supposed to do? Why don't you come inside and we'll call these idiots. Why don't you just crash here? Oh, no. I don't know if you got a great look at this neighborhood, but I don't think you should be out there by yourself. It's dry and there's a lock on the door. By the way, I'm Keith. Tess. You take the bedroom and I'll sleep out here on the couch. Barbarian 2022. A woman staying in an Airbnb discovers that the house she has rented is not what it seems. And I think that's about the level of murkiness that one should go into this movie with. Would you agree? It's a horror movie. Yeah. It's got a horror movie premise. It does. Um, And a couple, couple things. There's a, there's a, there's a third and fourth basement to the the story of this movie. Totally. Have you been watching? Have you, I'm sorry. Have you watched The Watcher at all on Netflix? I have not. Tell me about it. I I don't need to tell you about it, but oh, I just wanted to say that it, it does feel like a sort of renaissance for uh, suburbs with tunnels. Mm-hmm. Okay. There you go. We are living through yeah the there's tunnels underneath our what we think are our castles uh, kind of. Kind of vibe happening in the marketplace. Um, where where do we dive in with this film? Well, I was gonna say like so. If you've seen this movie, you're golden. Um, if you haven't, like I don't know, maybe you've heard like this is a great movie to go into knowing very little. That's how I went into it. Um, so we'll do I don't know like as many spoiler free minutes as we can, maybe like five. And then we will take the necessary plunge into talking about the rest of this movie. We will pop a, I will make sure to pop a timestamp in the show notes on when we come back for the game. If you don't want to be spoiled about barbarian. So why don't we jump off that synopsis? Tess, uh, a woman who arrives in Detroit for a job interview, uh, goes to, to this... be a documentary film editor. Perfect. I I really wished her luck at that interview, and it seemed like it went well. She seemed like she did good. Yeah. Um, I'm sure she was a good editor. But um, Who's to say? She's staying at this Airbnb on the outskirts of the city. Um, It's not a great neighborhood. Some eight-mile energy out there. Maybe Um, worse. Yeah, possibly. It's really just this one house and then like boarded up other houses as far as the block goes it was funny to me that like for the some of the sociological points that they were trying to make about cities which we'll get into that they did they filmed this movie um in bulgaria um that they were like please find me (laughs) find me find me something that's truly empty in terms of a facsimile of an american decrepit suburb um but yeah, she shows up and uh, at this Airbnb, it's pouring rain. There's literally no one around that she can sense. Um, she's trying to get into this Airbnb. She figures out the the little code key. The little lockbox comes down. There's no key. 
She's like, what the hell? She's banging on the door, and, and, and who should appear in the window in silhouette but trustworthy old Pennywise the Clown? <laughs> <laughs> we all float here in this Airbnb. Please, float on in. It's perfectly safe. What did you make of the immediate kind of uh, tension there and, and Bill Skarsgård and the, the decision that Tess was faced with? Well, it's obviously hilarious casting because he's known for playing the roles of people who would do harm to this young woman. Yeah. And I think the movie is so aware of our read of a movie like this, mm-hmm. where we are looking for the imbalances of like power and gender and things like this and to put him at the center of it just to have the first scare be like wait the guy who propelled like the it franchise fine let's let's see let's see what they get into and the first act really roots itself i think very smartly and very sort of timely uh in the fear that like And the fear that women have around men when they're alone, Mm -hmm. like that is really act one of this movie. And I think done in a very kind of brilliant, sensitive, but also like very surprising way. Yeah, it's definitely a behavioral study um, because it turns out that uh, Keith, um, or so he claims, has also rented this house through a different rental company. And why don't you just come inside while we sort of figure this out? And do you want me to make some tea and let me get your bags? And she's like, no, I'll just wait out here. She's like, no, it's pouring rain. It's not safe out there. And she's kind of faced with that, like, okay, danger of the unknown night versus danger of this, like, tall, sort of off-kilter white guy in this house. Um, with it's this just red like... balloon. <laughs> yeah, a lot of balloons. Um no, but yeah, and you're it's a it's basically like a kind of one big risk assessment. Um and you Right, kind of, and each each like sequence kind of heightens that, you know, to I mean, not to get too deep into it again. Go see this movie, be surprised. Yeah. But just like the way that his character sort of heightens moment to moment of like, oh, you take the bedroom and like, oh, I just found this bottle of wine. Yeah. It's like this this ratcheting up of, of a kind of forced intimacy that like, if she's into it, great. Like it's romantic, but if she's not into it, like it's, it's horror. Well, yeah. And it's just not a romantic situation. And so just right. even like this, there's all kinds of just like little suggestions that almost seem to be kind of like out of his control as a character where he's, right. where he's sort of like, Oh, you, I, I made you this tea that you didn't want, but then I saw that you didn't drink it. And I totally get that because like, you didn't see me make it. So I thought like I would wait until you came back to offer you more tea or open the bottle of wine. Cause like you wouldn't want, I totally get like why you'd want to maybe see me open it. And it's sort of like, it's, it's all the ironic disconcertedness of someone being like, Oh no, 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 I'm not going to murder you. Don't think about murder. And it's right. like, well, all I can think about, of course, is fucking murder now. Thanks, bro. Right. But it also knows, too, that like our, as as watchers of this movie, as, as an audience, that our expectations of like what these situations look like has vastly changed over the past few years. And like playing with the, you know, if a Hitchcock movie opened the same way, like a woman on a rainy night, like enters a house and a man's there and he takes care of her. Like, it's a totally different set of expectations of like now in 2022, 
what that means. Like the veil has kind of been pulled off of the, oh, there are just like most people are are good and most men have like great intentions kind of, you know, in the, at least in the, the cinema uh, verb, uh, sort of the lexicon. Right. And Skarsgård, this is like a, it's a really good use of him, as you said. Um, but he also, there is something, he's a strange guy. At the right angle, he's very handsome. But I think it also, like, he and um, Alex being sons of Stellan, like, if you catch them at, like, a strange moment, they're willing to be very weird. And their sort of Swedishness comes off as kind of deadening. Um, right. And, like, he has a little bit of that, like, dead-eyed... Like, well, he's a little bit big, so much yeah, like uh, Alexander, it's it's like you know that he's strong. Like I think that that was something that was really interesting. Like with Alexander Sarsgaard in um, Big Little Lies, yeah, is like his propensity for violence was just like part of his physical being. Yeah, so I would agree that the the Skarsgård, even Stellan, frankly, uh, they they could they could turn to violence at any moment. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I think really the only other thing we could talk about without spoiling it is just the, the interesting wrinkle that um, I think we're going slightly out of order here, but it's directed by uh, Zach Krieger, who is one of the whitest kids, you know, guys. That's um, incredible. <laughs> which, An RIP to that other guy. Yeah. Trevor Moore passed away last year um, suddenly and without warning. Um, but yeah, I'm trying to think if were you a whitest kids you know person? Just in college, and like people would send me links. Yeah, that's really the only way in which one is a whitest yes. kids you know person. <laughs> <laughs> but you would recognize Zach Krieger from the uh, the heckling Abraham Lincoln sketch, um, where he's heckling John Wilkes Booth at the Ford Theater and saying, "Now you fucked up twenty times in a row." <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's. It's interesting because one kind of can't help but think about Jordan Peele and one thinks about someone making the jump from sketch comedy to a horror movie with a lot of intricacies and commentary. But it's, it's, it's almost weirder because like there are so many Key and Peele sketches that are so smart about movies and where the direction hints at the fact that like this person, Jordan Peele, could have pretty intense directing chops but like whitest kids you know is so lo-fi i could not find any sketches that like use a horror vernacular at all and the only other movies that zach krieger has made were collaborations with trevor moore including one called like miss march that was like a playboy sex comedy that is one of the just worst reviewed movies of like the 21st century <laughs> so a horror movie with this level of kind of control and ambition and tonal balance it really feels like it comes from nowhere for me yeah it's like one of those good early movies from someone you know it kind of has a like a um what's his face uh brick um ryan johnson ryan johnson that's right that kind of slickness like cinema appreciation to it yeah in a way that's I mean, it's so Hitchcocky, which is fun, uh, but it's also in the parlance of I think the movies that you and I grew up watching. You know, it's like a gory horror movie that like has requisite scares, but also kind of a sexy, funny flourish to it that makes it kind of 
biting and, and sticks with you in that kind of way. Not to not to tip my hand too prematurely. Oh my here. god. He doesn't talk about sexy flourishes with movies he doesn't like, folks. I've learned that in 220 If you episodes. sexy flourish, uh, <laughs> you, you know where I'm headed at the end of this. It's very Wes Craven-esque. We walked, did People Under the Stairs last year. This is a movie yes. that owes a lot to People Under the Stairs. Um, totally. Yeah. Yes. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I am just so kind of impressed by how act one juxtaposes with act two so let me know when we're getting there because that's what i want to talk about i think you got there so folks if you don't want to know any more about barbarian um skip ahead i'm gonna estimate 15 to 18 minutes and again i will leave a timestamp for uh for the the goodbye game um so act two complete reset complete yeah hard reset which I fucking love. <laughs> I gotta tell you, <laughs> mm-hmm. I think it's such an interesting movie. When it happens in a movie, uh, it's it's so great just to introduce a another major character pretty deep into something. It's kind of Fincher esque. Mm-hmm. We'll keep going. Um, yeah, we're we're introduced to this sort of like promising young screenwriter, been canceled for allegedly. Uh, sexually assaulting the star of his debut film and he is then forced to return to detroit where he owns the airbnb in which there was like a hard kind of jump at the end of act one um and we don't know what's happening there and he owns that house so we return to the house some weeks later yeah seemingly Maybe and, more. Where he's just know. sort of liquidating his properties. Right. Uh, and he begins to discover the weirdness of this house in such a polar opposite of the way <laughs> Tess had experienced it not two weeks earlier. Uh, in this funny, like, what is terror? What is opportunity kind of juxtaposition that I think is so fucking hilarious. The bit with the tape measure goes on for a thousand years and is funny the entire time, I think. Um, yes. Because if we so, have yeah, there's this great please, sequence yeah. with, with Tess discovers this like gross room with like brown stains. Clearly and a, a like, rape video camera dungeon. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and she's terrified by this. And of course, because it's like in the key of horror movie at this point, too. And then we come back to it about, you know, half an hour later into this movie. And Justin Long, who's trying to get rid of this house and sell it, is like, oh, my God, another bedroom. Yeah. And he starts to measure it and has no terror whatsoever, like doesn't see like his character is not coded to be able to even see what would be terrifying to someone out of his very like white male perspective, Mm -hmm. which I'm going to go out and say this now. I think what's so brilliant about this movie is that it it appears as a hard, like cut between two narratives, but actually it is act one and act two of the same story by which I mean, here's a woman who comes into the space of a potentially predatory man and then something horrible happens. And then the second act is the fallout from that, which then becomes the horror nightmare of a very sort of 
uh, horse blinded sexual predator man in 2022 thinking, oh my God, someone accused me wrongly of this thing that is going to ruin my reputation. Right. It's the Courtney Barnett lyric of like, uh, what men are afraid of people laughing at them, women are afraid of getting murdered, like whatever it is. Right. Yeah. And I, I the way that it plays with these like, maximum terror levels of like he doesn't see the rape room all he sees is the i need to sell this house so i can like buy a lawyer to fix my screenwriting career and that's the that's the real terror for him extra square footage in the yeah there's even a moment where i believe he googles like does secret basement count for (laughs) square footage or something like that totally um yeah, the movie really is like, since we're fully in spoiler territory, it's it ends up being kind of like three tectonic plates like sliding toward each other. Because um, you have these first two, which as you quite quite uh, precisely said, are, are mirror images of each other. And then, then there's like the mystery of, of like what is going on down there, which kind of unfolds a whole other thing. Um, I, I would just say now that like one of the things that I really like about this movie, and I don't want it to sound like I'm ragging on other horror movies, but just like everything in this script is consequential. And that goes back to the sort of the Ryan Johnson comparison you were making and the, and the Jordan Peele of it all is like, um, Zach Krieger's script is like really keeping track of everything and how it inflects everything else and down to little objects. Um, and that's just, that's just different than most horror movies. You know, there are really, there are no bonus characters in this movie who are killed, like just for the fuck of it. You know, there's like kill four is not the same as kill six just because like, Oh, it's, you know, more, right. You guys just want more. And like that stuff's all fine. Like we like slasher movies, um, some of them, but this movie, um, is like very it's very tight um in the script but it's also like when those plates all do crash into each other it's willing to be like very loose and mayhem at the end in a way that's like quite pleasing after so much tension i think totally yeah i think when it moves into the third act which is a pretty traditional run away from monster living under the stairs movie yeah uh it it has some moves there too which right. is also somewhat impressive and the fact that it's basically another jump cut too into the story of the guy who owned the house next door or whatever um yeah it's this guy frank who's played by uh richard brake who's a welsh actor who's just fucking terrifying looking and you would know him people would know him best not that it really looks like him but he played the night king in yeah, seasons four night and king five guy. of <laughs> game of thrones um He's just a very scary man, and it kind of rockets you back to this. Um, it might be honestly him um, pretending to like work for the electrical company, and you see like how he um, like collects his victims is one of the scarier things in the movie, even though it's all kind of left to the imagination. Like the scary part happens off screen, but the tension that builds in these sort of reconnaissance moments of like oh i'm just checking something out it's maybe not going to happen like whatever the bad thing is it's not going to happen to me right now and it's very good with playing with that tension i feel like horror movies today like the expectation is that oh there has to be a jump scare like every sequence and it's like that's not that's not necessarily true uh, and this movie kind of proves that the ending sequence can be completely terrifying because then we suddenly see the shark come out of the water yeah because you actually never see the frank character do anything violent you never really see him 
even like move aggressively. And so, in fact, the one thing that really lingers in my memory is he goes to this woman's house who you assume he'll come back later and he just flips the lock on the bathroom window and the way he flips it is really the only truly physical thing he does in the whole movie and it's very striking and so the the next level of the test aj juxtaposition is like those two acts really come together when they wind up in the same pit of this fourth <laughs> of this fourth basement and aj's like what the fuck and tess is like hey man i'm gonna tell you real quick what i figured out here this last month is that um you know what's down here is this super strong inbred daughter of the daughter of the daughter of this like serial killer and abductor and she just like wants a baby so you gotta make sure that you're like a a good infant for mother um and we go, we could talk about mother a little bit, but like we kind of go this layer deeper as the script is kind of like what to do with these characters now as they make sort of like their second and third decisions of the movie. Because like Tess, Tess has this moment where, you know, she's like a fundamentally good person and she really should not go back in that house because she gets out at one point. But she's like, well, I'm the one who kind. She can like, I kind of let Keith go down there earlier, and now there's this other guy down there, and I don't know that he's like some Hollywood Me Too asshole. Um, so like, I guess, I guess I should go get him. And you see her kind of like delude herself into like what was not her fault, and then AJ, by comparison, is sort of like he threatens to come to grips with what he has done, but then he is the same person that he has always been now he's a bad dude i would say front to back yeah top to bottom yeah he proves that a couple times um and justin long like where's that dude been uh he's really good in this role i don't know yeah i mean like we know justin long of course best from like or like late aughts like dodgeball he's just not that into you waiting waiting um accepted Yes. Yeah, a lot of a lot of comedies where he's like the nice guy and this this movie. It kind of in that um that like promising young woman cast, it like weaponizes the Hollywood nice guy. Totally. Yeah. And that's why I think again, brilliant casting of having like the nice guy from the creepy sex comedy early 2000s be the oh actually he's a rapist guy uh in 2022. Really only the as I was thinking about it, my only qualm with this movie, and it just kind of shows up in the conversation that we're having, is that the casting of the villainous and potentially potentially villainous men is much more interesting than what Georgina Campbell is asked to do. Like she's quite she's quite up to the task of being the final girl. Like she she is uh, she's winning. She's a capable protagonist. Um, you're always rooting for her, but like she never gets to make. Um, like a lot of the like character um, decision there's just not as much like interesting subtext with her because she is fitting into a very tried and true kind of horror mode it's it's no fault of hers I almost just wondered like could there be one more scene of her and mother where she's figured out like well mother I know this is fucking crazy but mother likes to do the top hat dance from young Frankenstein or mother like wants to do some kind of ritual and you have to play along with mother where you could sort of see that her character is like willing to go to sort of a mad a maddening level but she just never gets that she's just like trying to live you didn't like the drinking the drinking the milk out of the hairy bottle that wasn't enough 
didn't have enough showmanship for me. It you makes me gag. You don't agree with this take? Now. You can have whatever take you want. I think if you want them to do a putting on the Ritz sequence, God damn it, they should. <laughs> I think every movie with a monster should have a putting on the Ritz sequence. Uh, well, the mother kind of talks a little bit like uh, Peter Boyle's Frankenstein. <laughs> um. <laughs> so good did i tell so i watched this movie in a theater with there was a there was a couple married seemingly married couple off to my left and then behind me there was a mom and her like 13 year old son and her like six year old daughter and i was just (laughs) like oh this is an r-rated movie i well yeah and i was like maybe she doesn't know but then as i'm like you know starting to take my first bite of popcorn like it's called fucking barbarian like what (laughs) get a clue lady. if it was called basement rape dungeon like don't bring the six-year-old but i will tell you one of the things that like delighted me most because i spent most of the movie being you know 40 percent scared for myself and 60 percent scared for this kid is in the final act this little girl started laughing hysterically as mother started kind of chasing them around and i i actually think that that is like a true sort of bit of this movie because like when it really cracks open as you said in that final act and becomes there's something about once you realize that mother is sort of like a shameless character and an unself-aware character and sort of like grotesque in this very like relate i mean she's like naked and jumping around and like breastfeeding um like it's extremity like you under (laughs) like you understand that it's like weirdly relatable in this sick way but then when she keeps like killing people that also defies your expectations because you're like well she's single-minded of purpose and i'm not i guess i haven't expected her to continue ripping people's arms off and that becomes kind of funny as well yeah she's like she doesn't know her own strength you know and is that how inbreeding works do you get do they do the scion get stronger in the universe of this film all right I do think the third act could have been a little more substantial. Like, I think the first two acts are very good in playing off each other. I think the third act, while satisfying, again, it really does need like another scene of growth, at least from the test character. Yeah. Yeah. It it ends up feeling like a little bit slight. And I, I end up, thinking less about the sort of plotty ending of this movie and more about the kind of setup for it. Yeah. But I also feel like that's something that I look for and that will draw me back to this movie at a later date. Right. Right. I like that this is our last movie because like one of our most played out bits was like, oh, horror movies, how do they work in the rating system? And like, here we are almost eight years later being like, this horror movie, good. Horror is the only place they're doing anything interesting well, in Hollywood. Well, and also... <laughs> Like, tell me, tell me what other genre works in the classical, like American cinema way where some guy can be like, I scraped together $4 million from like a couple dudes. And this movie made money. It like, yeah, it, I think it grossed 40 or 45 off a $4 million yeah, budget. It made a killing. There, there ain't no other movie genre that can do that uh, in 2022. I, not that, yeah, not that has been proven for sure. Yeah. So that's neat. Why don't we talk about how we rate movies on the podcast, forevermore known as Be Real. 
On Be Real, we rate movies in two categories, a good or bad for technical quality, and a good or bad for watchability. So what are the four possible ratings? I don't care! Good, good movies are both well-made and highly entertaining. The Fugitive, Parasite, Rear Window, or The Hunt for Red October. Once more, we play our dangerous game. Good, bad movies are often impressive technically, but also tough sits. Historical melodramas like The Mission, horror movies too scary or gross to rewatch, or self-serious musicals like Yentl. Papa, can you hear me? Conversely, bad good movies are highly flawed but still gratifying. Nonsensical hangouts like Hot Tub Time Machine or ludicrously fun action fare like Twister or Stargate. Give my regards to King Todd, asshole. Bad bad movies are neither well-made nor entertaining. Examples we've covered unfortunately include Garden State, Fifty Shades of Grey, and Attack of the Clones. I'm deeply sorry, master. Got all that? Time for a rating. Barbarian Good Good, I really enjoyed this movie um and i i think as we talked about like it's it's funny it's gross it's quite suspenseful it's like a like a a very good character study for the most part but one of the things i really liked about it is like in this era of sort of post get out people bandying about the term elevated horror which like obviously like political who's bandying it about everyone still I can't get a coffee in the morning without the barista being like, what do you think about it? Like, can horror really be elevated? Anyway. Um, Classic uh, Oregon problem. Yeah. <laughs> I moved out to the coast to get away from elevated horror. <laughs> At least the discourse around it. <laughs> still, it was tearing my community I apart. I still want to see it. Yeah, you don't see that on Fox News. Everybody in Portland just talking about elevated horror. That's why horror becomes too elevated. <laughs> My point is like there are I was making a short list of like movies I'd seen in recent years where like they're like horror movies with a lot of ideas um political and social that come to the forefront so hard that you're like I think this person made this movie because they had ideas not because they knew how to make a great movie. I mean, I think about that with the Candyman remake, um Nighthouse, Last Night in Soho, Antlers, The Dead Don't Die. And one of the great things about Barbarian is like this is fucking movie bang for your buck. Like there's a whole thing, the whole plot of this movie outlines how gentrification works and subverts this idea of like, oh, Detroit, scariest city in America, like um all this coded language about like, oh, why is Detroit so scary? Oh, and there's that great scene with the cops too. I forgot about that. Great scene with the cops. Great scene with that comedian. I think Kurt Braunler, who was like talking to the serial killer. He's like, we're getting out of this neighborhood. Like, can you? It's, it's going to hell. And it's like this total like last scene of a uh, little shop of horrors satire of a white picket fence neighborhood. But like because there's like a black family. Like you get like you referring to white flight, but they're all like friendly with this fucking serial killer creepazoid. Um, and so, and then, you know, after the whole, like, suburb becomes, like, run down and unlivable, here comes, like, the gentrifier, Justin Long, trying to be like, can I, can I scrape anything out of this uh, place that, like, the last generation of shitheads, like, f- flew away from? Um, but all of that stuff is, like, within the blast of the movie, it's at no point or do you think that the ideas are better than the movie that you're seeing. Um, and that is pretty important for like a, totally. dare I say, a movie watching experience. Good, good. Good, good. Excellent. And correct. 
I, I totally agree with you. Yeah, I mean, I really do believe that so much interesting stuff is happening with larger questions, specifically around, like, I just saw the trailer for She Said, which is the Harvey Weinstein New York Times investigation movie. Yeah. Um, and Hollywood has had both a tough time and an interesting time, like, adjusting to the sexual politics of the present. And I think where you're seeing that done most effectively is in the horror genre. Like I think back to like to invisible man. Yeah. Like, I don't think there's been, you know, for all the problematic, like, Oh, are they in love or are they in abusive relationship movies of like the nineties and early two thousands? Like that, that one is so interesting in unpacking like what was, what might've been funny, like funny in a different context is now horror um, and I think here too, yeah, we're seeing those, those kinds of questions play out. Uh, and I think it's so funny to almost like force a four quadrant movie out of forcing <laughs> the perspectives of each of the films to be on, you know, a specific dynamic of people that come out for horror movies in general. Like here's the young women who are there because they like to get scared and here are the young men who like to get scared and playing with like potentially what scares them. Like what scares somebody like coming up in the world today? Because that's, I mean, these movies are targeted also at young people. Uh, and I think that that's what's so kind of fun and no one's really pushing back on the politics of it because i think that you know if it's a good movie it's a good movie and this is a good good movie there you have it barbarian um noah ballard would chance solemn pfeiffer would you like to take a a stroll down memory lane here i would love to do that all right so I put together this little game based on uh, some rudimentary data I collected from our many episodes and some questions that I have for Noah. They're not all like memory questions. I didn't think that would be fun to like put you on the spot. Um, Thank God. <laughs> but we start, we're going to start with two, two, I think just like warm up memory questions. Is that okay? Okay. I'll try my best. All right. We did a episode zero which is lost to time because I can't remember like one of us didn't record our you. audio. The pilot. Was it me? I don't know. You I just, like, <laughs> just assume it's you. <laughs> no, we, we, we had at least two episodes. We each like fucked up not recording like a big chunk of it. We, we each had our own times of doing that. We did. But before episode one, we did like a pilot one when in like 2014 about one movie. It was also a horror movie. Do you remember what it was? <laughs> oh no. It's completely random. <laughs> I don't know if you'll uh, what is it? Um Cabin in the Woods. I any memory of this? If you would give me fifty guesses, I wouldn't have said that. <laughs> Because, yeah, we started in spring of 15. I do we remember were, talking about Cabin in the Woods. I just didn't remember that that was our first. That was like our test run. We're like, how's this going to work? And despite it, the test run crashing and burning, we were like, nah, let's do the, let's do the show. Let's add th two more movies was it bad? to every episode. One of our audios was really fucked up, and I can't remember what happened. Oh, and my I God. Looked, I, I looked through old emails with you today trying to see if I could find it. I'm sure it's terrible. But anyway, Cabin in the Woods. I love that. Cabin in the Woods. 
Do you remember what our first episode was? The category? Uh, protecting the President? Very good. Do you remember the movies? Um, in the Line of Fire. Yep. White House Down. Olympus yep. Has Fallen. That would make sense. Uh, more obscure 90s. Oh, movie uh, Murder than that. at 1600. Fuck. There it is. <laughs> I was listening to a. I don't know what movie podcast I was listening to the other day, but it was like. Uh, they were like, the director is. Uh, Dwight H. Little? I'm going to have to look that up. And I'm like, oh, you mean the director of Murder at 1600? Uh, <laughs> from episode one of Be Real? <laughs> this podcast has made you excellent at the movie game. Here's one. Noah Ballard, because these are all definitely your invention. What is your favorite category we've done purely based on movie title grouping? Your options are, quote unquote, Bad movies, which I believe was Bad Moms, Bad Lieutenant, and Bad Company. Incredible. <laughs> Enterprising Americans, which is American <laughs> Animals, American Made, American Hustle, or simply Masks. Mask of Zorro, The Mask, Man in the Iron Mask. What do you favor? I do love a mask. So theatrical. Is that your pick? Yeah, I like I like the simplicity of masks. Yeah. And the, the my big reveal for you is that we never did that one. That one is in the doc. Oh, that's a great one. That is that just in the Google the doc. doc somewhere? Yeah, sitting in the Google Doc. Masks, anytime you want. <laughs> oh, man. I do remember we did the other two, though. We did. Yeah. Hit me hit me up next year and just, just text Let's me. Let's do masks. Masks? It's really surprising to me that we haven't talked about Man in the Iron Mask. It feels like we have. <laughs> it really feels like the kind of movie we would have discussed by now. <laughs> So many Three Musketeers movies. We could definitely... Wait, is, is Man in the Iron Mask Three Musketeers? Oh, it sure is. Okay, good. Um, which B-Real category has aged the worst? Your options are live-action Disney remakes from 2017. <laughs> um, seemingly unnecessary prequels. From 2015, this is now half of stories that are come to film and television. <laughs> or my personal favorite, The Crimes of Johnny Depp. Oh, no. <laughs> we said it first, folks. Yeah. Oh, and my God. We've been Team Amber since the jump. Yeah. Don't check the tape and just be like, oh, they were just doing a Black Mass episode. We were, we knew what we were doing. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> oh my God. That one, by the way, for nobody gives a shit about this and I wish it were more plays, but like sometimes I will go into the SoundCloud and be like, why is this random episode getting so many plays? And I think Crimes of Johnny Depp just from SEO is getting, has gotten some real ill-gotten plays from people who are not interested in the film Black Mass. Um... No, have you seen Jurassic World Dominion? I sure have. Okay, then I want to ask in the spirit of like episode eight, I think it was. Can I have your current Jurassic Park movie rankings? Oh, my. One, two, four, three, five, six. You, Dominion's the worst of the bunch. I mean, I think they all. I mean, three and four pretty they could be they're tied for third i yeah. really do think they go in order okay here's a fun one most baffling new movie we ever pinned a category to 
all of these movies were hooks for categories. <laughs> the fundamentals of caring for road trip comedies. Okay, in our defense, that one was at a time where Slaves Netflix, of the Moment. But that was like pretty early into Netflix getting into original films. Yes. So I think our, our point was to be like it's very accessible and it also right. ties together another category of movies. We didn't know that it would just like fall beneath an uncontrolled mountain of mediocrity in the We didn't know we would be the only two people on earth to watch this film. <laughs> if you're saying that though, how about Southside with you? Do you remember what that is? The Barack Obama uh <laughs> Michelle love story. There you go. We did. We did that one movie night. had like a lot of buzz again in our defense, like coming yeah. out of the film festival circuit and then didn't do anything when it came to streaming. Yep. One night, one night romances. I also think we fucking covered that in like September, 2016. That hurts. Um, <laughs> uh, Greyhound. Oh, that Apple plus a uh, Tom Hanks, uh, captain of a world war ii cruiser movie yeah love that um tight 90 i remember tag isn't tag the movie where jeremy renner broke both of his arms doing a stunt so they had to cgi his arms into the rest of the film (laughs) you remember it and i i talked to one of the guys who like lives in washington or whatever (laughs) because it was based on real life that guy was so sweet but he also like i'm sure i cut this out he talked to me for so long he's just like you know we live in a time where like we're all very divided i was just wish we could all play tag i do remember that (laughs) incredible god um uh simply complicated (laughs) simply complicated now that's not the one with uh isla fisher and ryan reynolds is it where he's like telling the story of uh no, that's definitely maybe. Simply, Simply com- complicated. <laughs> it's a it's a documentary produced by the person that the documentary is about. Oh, is it uh, one of the music uh, yeah. docs? Simply this complicated. Is the, this is the Demi Lovato YouTube. Oh, documentary. the Demi Lovato one. I mean, again, people talked about that movie when it came out. Yep. It was part of a spate of self-produced documentaries. Okay. Noah, you have to rewatch one of these movies tonight. Which one? Your options are The Cell, The Judge, Spawn, or Come and See. Which one are you watching? <laughs> Come and See. <laughs> Come and See was the most insane viewing experience that i've ever lived through in watching a movie for this podcast you went to a screening like a i went to a screening of a janice which is like a janice film it was just like on a floor of an like an office building in new york and it was me and like six other people in a very intimate screening room as we watched like the horrors of like a russian village getting raped and pillaged right Watching cows be literally killed by machine gun fire. Totally. And this boy, his hair turn white. So is that your answer? You throwing that on after this? You have to watch one of them, which honestly, gun to your head. 
I would have to be the judge because that was like the least painful of the four. I mean, the cell, I think, is have fine. Have fun watching Robert Duvall's character shit himself at two hours and 20 minutes into the movie. <laughs> the least Act painful. two, the shitting. <laughs> um, okay, Noah, which one of these actors do you think has appeared in the most movies we've covered? Your options are... Well, actually, do you have a guess? Just off the top of my head? Yeah. Wh- what actor do you think we've covered the most? I don't. Okay. Your options are Nick Cage, Harrison Ford, Samuel L. Jackson, Tom Cruise. I'd say Tom Cruise. That's right. Interesting. 17. That's incredible. It's a lot How many of, of those were cocktail? <laughs> Just one. And I actually think the thing with Cruise, I was trying to make sense of this. So, okay, so it was six Mission Impossibles. That gives him a pretty big head start. But then I think he's also s- someone whose like, career otherwise has lent itself to so many like B-real style genre exercises. Totally. Be they like, I wouldn't want to work at that law firm, sports agenting, um, are you watching my divorce? Like he did a he did a nice job of getting into our totally. wheelhouse there. And I definitely like in a couple of months would do a is cocktail still as good as we remembered? Bring it on. You you tell me when. Um This is more of a fun fact. I don't think there's a real guess here. Um actors who have never appeared in any of the seven hundred movies we've watched. Jackie Chan. It's a miss. Tom Holland, Tiffany Haddish, and Chris Hemsworth. Just Chris never Hemsworth? never did any of them. Wow. It's weird. And you know the funny thing, though? What's that? You know what's the missing Hemsworth title? What do you mean? Cabin in the Woods. Oh, my God. He could so, have been on the list. How about that? Um, okay, Noah. Uh, I want your current ranking of the four parent choice movies that we watched. So the movies are Royal Tenenbaums, Out of Africa, Cinderella Man, and Chariots of Fire. You want my ranking of them? I want your ranking. Say them one more time. Royal Tenenbaums, Cinderella Man, Out of Africa, and Chariots of Fire. I'd go Tenenbaums, Chariots of Fire... Cinderella Man out of Africa. Nice. Kathleen really won that experiment, didn't she? Yeah. By picking by picking Royal Tenenbaums. Um Okay, last one. I guess I Oh, by the way, the the Be Real episode that I think has aged the best is at the end of the day, Lewis, because that motherfucker has stayed retired. Five years. He's doing it for us. Um, Okay. If I say saying a a funny movie title in a Noah Ballard voice, do you know what I mean by that? No, and I'm offended that you'd even say something like that. Like, how would you say, if you were sort of incredulous but enjoying yourself, how would you say the title of the movie? uh, How would you say Run All Night? (laughs) That's incredulous. (laughs) Uh, 
How would you say it? I don't know. Just run all night. <laughs> yeah, you got it. It's just your fucking voice. It's just how you do it. Okay, so which one of these is the most fun to say in the Noah Noah Ballard voice? Is it Danny Collins? Is it Monkey Bone? <laughs> um, is it Hangman? <laughs> Hangman. But the I think the granddaddy of them all has to be bong water. <laughs> it's definitely bong water because it's it's just sort of like the 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 way the dean does uh the the grades in Animal House at the last one where I think it's uh, John Belushi I think it's John Belushi and he goes 0. 0.0 <laughs> bong water that's <laughs> You know, what I was realizing as I was looking at the ones that I put on the list that I thought were the funniest when you said them is they were all three syllables. Monkey bone. Bong water. So that I'm yeah. so happy to know the origin for that is also three syllables, zero Bong-water. point zero. Zero point zero. <laughs> That's great. I love to know where your effects come from. Um... My last thought was just, uh, what did you like? Did you like Banshees of Inisherin? Do you want to go on the record about this? I wish I liked it more. Yeah. I felt like, I feel like Martin McDonough generally is best when he has like a genre narrative to play with. Mm-hmm. And this movie really lacked that. And I think to its own peril, like there is a narrative there, but I just, thought it could have been so much more compelling if there'd been you know like a secret or a crime or whatever and maybe if it was going to be a more meditative thing about why men fuck with each other then maybe giving a first act seeing them as friends because the whole conceit is that uh these two grown men like break up as friends right and the one doesn't really give the other one a reason I just don't want to do the podcast with you anymore, Noah. That's right. Well, you could do it by your feckin' self. Yeah. <laughs> um, if you try to talk to me any further about bong water, I'll cut me fucking finger off. Bong water? <laughs> um, yeah. So, I thought it was good. I didn't think it was great. Okay. Um, I have not seen it yet. My, The reason I bring this up is I just wanted to take your temperature on... 2022 releases does barbarian rank like very high for you like would it be top five do you think it's been so long since i've seen a good movie in the theaters that barbarian maybe is the top i was gonna say the only other one i think that you and i have real shared enthusiasm about from this year is probably prey we both really liked that predator sequel on hulu right yeah but i didn't see that in the theater though right I was just trying to see if, because I think my, when I look at I like I my had. top five, I don't think it really went into theaters. Top Gun? I don't know. I wasn't as crazy about Top Gun as everybody else was. My top five, I, li- I literally have texts from you being like, I don't like any of these. <laughs> I think it's like my top five is like After Yang, Top Gun, Nope, uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once. <laughs> no, I, did, I didn't like just any of those. hard passes on all of these. Um, yeah, mine's just Barbarian. It's just 
A man has staked his ground. Barbarian, the film of 2022. I saw Bros, too. Have you seen Bros? No, but I didn't, you didn't like that either, did you? I didn't like that either. I don't <laughs> like movies anymore. Apparently not. Uh, what about Smile? Another I haven't horror, seen that. horror sensation. I've heard that that's disappointing, and I can't deal with a horror movie that's also disappointing. Mm, yes, like that's sort of a dual horror, isn't it? Right, it's a double-edged sword. It's like a genre I already don't want to be watching, and then it's bad. <laughs> I'll be at home rewatching. Come and see. Uh, <laughs> I think my own hair turned white. What's left of it? Um, you know, I had hair when we started this podcast. See, this is the perfect segue into saying goodbye. <laughs> um, I just wanted to say to you, buddy, that uh, that if it's if we've done seven hundred movies, like that means it's like at least a couple thousand belly laughs, for which I thank you, um, and I really do. When I think about like specific episodes, um, I think of where we were, like Danny Collins is Lincoln, uh, Boogie Nights is Portland. Uh, the recruit I, is that scary cabin. <laughs> the recruit is that Deep scary. Water is the uh, Pennsylvania Mi- Miami. Yep, yep. Um, Americans uh, in Mexico was me and Brent in Mexico. I was I had literally had that written down. It's just like I really think of three amigos as you and Brent in Cancun, even though I fucking wasn't there. <laughs> Do you have anything besides Mexican food? Is one of my favorite. I think movie lines. That's great. Um, oh, I think of the rules of attraction as Florence, Italy, even though you weren't there. Um, Fine. So that goes both ways. Um, yeah, man, it's, it's a shared language that I will cherish forever. I also want to just going to like, thank you and, and everyone else for the, um, I feel like when I hear other people who like watch and think and talk about movies for a career, like their cinephile st- stuff starts really early and I don't necessarily, I think I was kind of a late bloomer in that sense. And I just wanted to like, thank your indulgence for like, this was like a real, since we started, I was fucking 24. It's like a real film education in these last eight years, um, which has just been a real blessing. So thanks for, thanks for watching a whole fuck ton of movies. I, uh, I accept your, your thank you. You're welcome. Um, we cannot leave without thanking uh, Michael Todd and for our wonderful website for which we are eternally grateful. Um, thank you to the playlist. Thank you to all of our incredible guests um, for their time. And Specifically their that submarine guy. Yeah. <laughs> John Clear. I really hope you're still burbling, buddy. Um, and Do you remember when you had that really awkward interview with Paul Dano? Thanks for bringing that up. Yeah. <laughs> You you remember my attempt to bond with him belly flopped. It was incredible I, audio though. Everyone go listen to the Paul Dana Wildlife's a good movie. I thought so. Um Wildlife was good. And thank you to the listeners, of course. Uh it was always just a real sweet pick me up when people would check in and be like, I really like this thing. Um, thank you to everyone who suggested a category through the years that we almost certainly did not get to. Um, that's a lot of people, but uh, I appreciated appreciated. Can I say now? Ideas. A lot of them, 
we're not very good and not specific <laughs> enough to work in the premise of this podcast. You guys should do something about action movies. They all boil down to what about movies that I like? Yeah. Well, you really know how to how to thank people. Um buddy, any Sir? any final thoughts? No, nah, I think you said it all. All right. Well, but uh, I have really appreciated going on this journey with you, buddy. Wow. Looking at your face over video, I feel like it's <laughs> held us together these past years. Uh, and I will cherish it forever. I'll probably still text you and bother you. And every time I see a movie, write you a little paragraph about how I felt about it. And whether, you know, you, whether or not you respond, you know, that's, that's always up to you. I, I always respond for the record. I know. Okay. It's excellent. I would love to keep doing that. As would I. Um, yeah, I would love nothing more. I love you. I thank you one more time. I love you too. All right. Um, let's go build those birdhouses. What was the... You can't kill the, the demon without killing the little boy? You said it. I walk away Like a movie star Who gets burned in a three-way script Enter number two A movie queen to play the scene Of bringing all the good things out in me But for now, love, let's be real I never 